our gatherings, we've been following for quite some time the uh, Revised Common Lectionary, which kind of lays out the text for you, uh, actually like three years in advance, really. So every week our texts are set out for us in our gatherings. And so many of you know that this is the season of Lent in the Christian calendar. The focus is on human brokenness and the need for repentance of sin as we look forward to the crucifixion of Jesus and all that comes with with Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So you can imagine I was a little nervous about what text might come up on the radar this week um, as we prepare to celebrate this partnership. Just to give you a window into the nightmare kind of going through my head. Um, you know, I kind of think to myself, here we are, everybody, celebrating this great event, this great partnership, uh, these churches that have helped Storyline to get up off the ground. We're five years into it. God has really brought this thing to life. And our message today is, you're all basically horrible people. And you need to <laughs> But it, it was uh, to my great delight that uh, there was a, a, a story that I think fits wonderfully for our conversation and our worship tonight that I'm really excited to share. And I think you'll see why uh, as we share that story. Usually we read the story out of the Bible or the text out of the Bible tonight so we don't ruin the suspense. I'm just going to tell the story. Because some of you may not have heard it before. Lots of you probably have. It's, it's pretty well known. Uh, my storytelling tonight is inspired by the work of a guy named Timothy Keller. So one day Jesus was teaching, and all of these tax collectors and sinners, that's code language for the shady characters of the day, who uh, were on the outcasts of society, who, who nobody really wanted to have much to do with. Certainly, they didn't want to have much to do with church or with God or with religion. Jesus is talking to the crowds, and tax collectors and sinners are just gathering around him. These people were attracted to Jesus and the message that he had. And then over on the side, there was a group of Pharisees, which is the sect of Judaism and the teachers of the law, who were kind of looking on Jesus as he was teaching and scoffing a bit. What kind of stuff is he teaching that he's getting people to go to his services that we're not getting to come to ours? And, and what kind of person is he if all of these tax collectors and sinners are wanting to listen to him? What's his message, really? They didn't like it, that Jesus was hanging out with his people. Maybe it meant that he was accepting them. And so Jesus, while they're listening, tells this story of a man who has two sons. And the younger son in the story approaches his dad and says, Father, I want my inheritance. Which, in the day to hear that, was tantamount to wishing that his dad was dead. Basically saying, I don't care about you. I want what you can give me. You know, an inheritance is not something that you get until somebody passes away, right? I'd rather have what you, what goods you can offer me than relationship with you. This was a ridiculous thing to ask for. In that day, uh, a Middle Eastern man, to hear that from a son, the proper reaction was to kick that guy to the curb and publicly shame him. It was shaming 
to this father figure to, to hear that kind of offer from his son. Uh, not to mention that his son, with another brother, was probably going to get about a third of the, of the inheritance, a third of his father's wealth. And in that day, they didn't have 401ks, they didn't have stock markets. Their wealth was wrapped up in the land. So the son is basically asking, will you sell off a third of your land so that I can have what's coming to me right now? Now, that doesn't speak to the kind of shame publicly that it would cause when the father accepted the offer and then took the time to sell off his family legacy in the, in the form of parcels of land. But that's exactly what he did. And that's what's shocking about this. The father actually says, okay, you can have what you want. So the son takes this large wealth that's been poured into his lap as a result of the sale of his land, probably, and he rushes off to a different country, and he lives the high life. He does whatever he wants. He mixes and mingles with prostitutes. He does drugs. He goes to the best parties, and he wastes everything he has. I mean, just reckless with his money. And he comes to the end of it, and just so happens that there's a famine in the land, and he's hungry. He's suddenly run out of all, his, all of his money, and he doesn't have any money to buy food. So he goes to a guy who lives around there, who's a farmer, and asks him, can I work for you? And he says, yeah, you can feed my pigs. So he's there feeding the pigs, thinking, I'm really hungry, and I would almost rather eat what they're eating than to go without, because nobody will give me food. And then it kind of dawns on him. You know, there's no chance that I could ever go back to my father's house and to my family um, as a son. But I know my, my father has contract workers. He has these hired hands who come and do work at his land. If I could just get his permission to let me be one of those hired hands, to apprentice in a trade, I, I wouldn't have to live on his property. I could live in the village, and I, I, I might not even ever have to go back there. But if I could get his permission just to do that, I know that I'm dead to him and to the whole family. That would be better than what I'm looking at right And so he makes the trip back. And as he's coming up close to the house, uh, the father, in the distance, sees him. And he sees his son coming, and his heart is filled with compassion. His heart wells up with love for his son that he sees coming, who he can tell has had a rough go in this foreign land. And the father runs down that road as fast as he can run until he gets to his son. And if, if you're the son, I mean, what is he going to do to me? You know, uh, why is he running toward me? But he grabs his son and basically just jumps him and hugs him and kisses him. And he has a servant come over and put the best robe on him, which would have been his robe. Put his robe on him. He said, put my ring on his finger. What he's telling the son is, I want you to be part of my family. And all the son can get out. He doesn't have time to blurt out his, uh, his plan, like hired hand and all this, all he can say is, I'm a sinner, I don't deserve to be your son, and he just gets jumped by his dad. Now, for a Middle Eastern patriarch to run down the road, uh, children would run, right? And bare their legs as they ran. Women 
could run sometimes, but for a patriarch, a, a, a dignitary, an elder in a village, to lift up his robes and bare his legs and run, that was just shameful. It would, it would have been publicly humiliating. And that's exactly what the father does. He runs and shames himself to do that so that he can embrace. He pays a price so that he can enter into relationship with his son again. Puts the robe on him, puts the ring on him, and says, uh, we've got a fattened calf, and it would go for huge profit at the market, but let's kill the fattened calf and have the biggest part of it. Which was also, that was another big deal. You didn't have meat normally at, at meals, much less the best grade A beef that you could possibly have. And that's what he does. He says, let's have a part. What a great story. I mean, what a, what a powerful story about father, the depth of a father's love for his son. Um, that younger son represents one way that people try to find fulfillment in life. And that's through self-discovery. You say, oh, I, I know what's right and what's wrong for me. And, and so I'm going to go out. I don't care about the rules. I don't care about the traditions. I don't care about the community. I'm going to go and find what makes me happy. That's what the sons, the, the younger sons are, are, we're the rebels, right? They're the, the people who don't care about all the rules. We want to find our own path and discover our own way because we know what will make us happy the best. That's the spirit of the younger son. It's kind of like the, the black sheep, you know, the baby of the family with less responsibility, like was played out in that blockbuster, critically acclaimed film, Black Sheep with uh, Chris Barton. <laughs> but the good news in this story is that the father embraces this son. And as, as, as Jesus is telling this story, you've got to think that he's telling this story with the people in front of him in mind, the tax collectors and the sinners. He's telling this part of the story for them. But interestingly, most of the time when we tell this story, we, we recollect on this story, that's exactly where we stop, right? As we hear about the party with the younger son. But there's more to the story that Jesus tells. Jesus goes on to talk about the elder brother, the older brother who hears the word from the field that there's some party, he can hear the ruckus, and he comes to the, the place where they're having the party and brings the servants out and says, I'm, I'm sorry, what's going on? And why haven't I heard about this? Uh, this is a big ruckus. What, what, what's happening here? Well, uh, your father, your, your brother, he came back, and your father he welcomed him, and now they're having a party for him. And you can imagine the elder brother is not, he's not excited about this. He is angry. He is enraged. I mean, his brother has come from a foreign land, and he can't get past his anger about it. He won't even go inside to the party. He, he won't go inside so much so that the servants have to send the father out, which was something shameful for this Middle Eastern man. It would have shamed him publicly to have to go outside. Tell me what's going on, son. And the elder son doesn't even refer to him by title. He says, look, you, I've spent all of my years slaving away for you. 
I haven't broken a command. I've, I've obeyed everything you've asked me to obey. And yet, you haven't even given me a goat for a party. And you're giving this guy a fattened calf. What's going on? This guy's gone to a foreign country and squandered his wealth away. The spirit of the elder son represents a second way that people try to find fulfillment and happiness. And that's through moral conformity. We think that if we can keep the rules, if we can obey the law, if we can keep God's commands, if we can work hard and do what's right, if we can obey, then we will deserve a good life. The non-religious version of this is a person who would just say, I want to be a good person. I'm going to be a good person. I'll be honest. I won't cheat people. And then it'll kind of it'll be my karma that I'll have a good life, right? If I do right by other people, it's got to come back around to me. If we conform morally, then we can pull the strings in our favor. And it's really interesting that this form of, uh, of pursuit toward happiness is really not a whole lot different than that of the younger brother. Because, in a sense, the, the older brother didn't want the father for relationship in and of himself any more than the younger brother did. He didn't want the father for himself. He wanted what he could get from his relationship with the father. It's about self-salvation as much as it was for the younger brother. I can control the outcomes. If I obey, if I do the right things, it'll be owed to me. This good life. Lots of religious people fit into this category. But lots of non-religious people do too. It's interesting that the younger son shows us that you can be alienated from, from the Father, from God, by doing the wrong things. But the older son shows us you can be alienated from God by diligently doing the right things. Jesus tells this story to highlight a third way of finding fulfillment and happiness that I would like to call gospel humility. We have self-discovery. We have moral, uh, moral, what was it? Moral conformity and gospel humility. And this, this third way highlights the third character in the story, and that's the father. The father who runs diligently to his son. And when the elder son says, I'm not coming into the party, the father says to him, all that I have is yours. But this son, he was, he was lost and now he's found. He's dead and now he's alive. We have to celebrate that. It's the father who shows us this third way. And a lot of times when we talk about this story, it's famously called the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means reckless or wasteful. So you can see how that would apply to the son. He wastes all of his stuff in a foreign land. But the person who's really a prodigal in this story is God. Um, it's the father. The father is reckless with his love. The father is, is just extravagant in his compassion and care for his son. And the father in the story obviously corresponds to God. In both cases, in both 
wives of sons, uh, he, he pours out his love on them. He runs to his son and embraces him. He calls him a son. He, he offers everything he has to his elder son. This third way of finding fulfillment is accepting this God-initiated grace. It's receiving it for our brokenness. And when we do, it changes our lives. So you have the, the older and younger brother in this story. And I want you to consider and ask yourself, um, which one do I identify with? Am I a younger brother or sister? Um, am I an older brother? Am I a younger brother who pursues self-discovery and wants to kick against the rules? Am I an older brother who wants to keep the rules as a way of getting what I want from God? Maybe, maybe you're a mix of both. Maybe you're a, a younger brother out there and an elder brother in here. Or maybe you're an elder brother with a little secret younger brother life on the side somewhere. Regardless, the good news of this story, the good news of the gospel, is that God wants to jump you with his grace and mercy. That's how, that's how deeply God loves us. Jesus, through his crucifixion, is the true elder brother who comes and finds us when we're lost. He pays the price for us to be back in the family and welcomes us to this great party, this great feast. And all we have to do is receive it. If you're the younger, put on the robe and receive the ring. If you're the older, step into the party and celebrate. A few years ago, uh, one of my friends in Uptown, when we were just getting started, um, he's a, a young Jewish attorney, um, was, was a spiritual person, and he said, why are you guys starting this church? There's a bunch of young professionals around here who don't really care much about God. What are you doing here? Why are you starting this church? And Julie and I told him the story of the prodigal God. That's found in Luke 15 that we've been talking about. The God who leaves the flock of 99 to find one sheep. The God who puts everything down to search for one lost coin in his house. The God who runs to his lost son who's come back home and embraces his elder son who struggles with bitterness and anger and moralism in his heart. That, that prodigal God is why we started Storyline. And it's that same reason that Storyline is still around today, to reach out to people with the good news of God's ridiculous, nonsensical, reckless, prodigal love. 